We've never needed an efficient pharmaceutical supply chain more than right now, but it's falling short. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. COVID-19 vaccine distribution is well underway, but the process has been anything but smooth. Some of the snags can be chalked up to the sheer, unprecedented scale of the undertaking. But the pharmaceutical supply chain suffers from deeper, more structural problems that frustrate efficiency in a number of ways. Issue number one is lack of end-to-end visibility, according to my guest today. He is Roddy Martin, Chief Digital Transformation Officer with Tracelink. We're going to talk about the biggest gaps in pharma supply chains, both before and after the arrival of the pandemic. What's standing in the way of agility, flexibility, control, and efficiency? What solutions need to be brought to bear on the problem? How can the industry accurately forecast supply and demand? Here's my conversation with Roddy Martin. Roddy Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Pleasure to be here once again. Roddy, what are the biggest gaps in pharma supply chains today? I have to say that the biggest gap is visibility, and and there's a good reason for it. If you look at the privileged patent protection and the margins they've got, they can afford to have 100, 200, 300 days worth of inventory. So inventory is never, at least visibility, has never been a big criteria for pharmaceuticals. And we certainly saw in the pandemic how visibility absolutely blindsided them because they didn't have visibility on the product supply side. And they also didn't have good demand forecast accuracy on the demand side because it's extremely difficult in that kind of a scenario to do that. And so matching this all up was a disaster. But I would have to say that the grassroots problem is visibility and just simply business models that are too hard to adapt to changing situations. And in some ways, they've codified themselves into very standard ways of operating with ERP systems and all the compliance systems. And and it's hard to change anything without jumping through hoops and revalidating systems. So I would say visibility is probably the big issue. I am a little surprised to hear you say that, considering that this is one of, if not the most highly regulated industries out there. You would think that visibility would be a premium. Now, maybe there's a difference between visibility of supply and demand on one hand, which is what you just said, and visibility of product in the pipeline on the other. I don't know. But isn't that a little weird? It is a weird point. It is counterintuitive. And and the reason for that is you would think that I've got this drug that's going to save lives, just theoretically, right? So... I would think it's very visible, and by law, I have to have visibility of every batch of this product all the way from supply all the way into the patient's hands. Well, that's why I said I think, unfortunately, what's happened is with protected patents and with margins of 85%, they can still, with 200 days of inventory, get guaranteed that they're going to get the product to the patient but that's mm. not how any other supply chain runs. And so visibility 
to the point of optimizing the end-to-end supply network. And I'll tell you where it's going to really catch this industry is as we go to cell and gene therapy and we start producing products for patients of one or five or 10, you can't run those supply chains with two, 300 days worth of inventory. That's not how they work. You're making it for one or two patients or 10 patients. So visibility is absolutely the key factor. And the interesting thing is if you talk to people about their visibility challenges, generics has a different visibility challenge to launching a new product to a pandemic where you want supply-side visibility and you want to balance it with demand-side visibility. But it all boils down to a hyper-need for accurate visibility without just having hundreds of days of inventory. Now, you've described a state of affairs that has been the case, I imagine, with pharma supply chains for some time. How did COVID-19 make it worse? In the COVID situation, you had the worst of both worlds. In a sense, you had the supply line cut off. So in a sense, the product supply network became inefficient. And what we saw is huge numbers, three quarters of the manufacturers we surveyed in a big study, benchmarking study we did with IDC, said, well, we can't plan because we don't have accurate upstream and downstream visibility. But the the second problem that aggravated that was the fact that you had no downstream visibility on the demand side. So I ran a big panel at Logi Pharma and Paul McKenzie, the CEO of CSL Bearing, said, this is like testing every muscle in your body. Previous pandemics has been a wave or an ash cloud or a flood. But this one tested us. We've gone from one country different to the next country, different to the next country. So trying to balance a very unreliable, unpredictable product supply network with demand forecasts that keep popping up all over the show is an extremely difficult job. Mm-hmm. So it it really shone a light on visibility because they couldn't accurately predict supply, they couldn't accurately predict demand, and so therefore they couldn't get the right products to the right place at the right time. So I guess we could say lack of visibility leads to lack of agility. Makes sense. But I want to drill down a little bit more and understand why there is such a lack of visibility here. I mean, you're saying on one hand, they haven't put a lot of attention into it because there's so much inventory on hand. But I mean, what are the factors that are preventing visibility in this supply chain? It's a great question because it's not simply, if you had visibility of everything, it wouldn't necessarily mean you've got an agile supply chain. The next problem comes in with the lack of responsiveness so in other words, if there's a disruption in the supply chain and if, and all things being equal, if there was a disruption that impacted either the supply side or the demand side, it takes, we found in that IDC study, 40 days for a lot of manufacturers to even see that there's been a disruption. And so the problem is that they don't have the responsiveness of teams to quickly go and analyze the problem, come to identify the root causes and fix it so that it doesn't impact the patient. So it's not simply just visibility, it's seeing it, but being in a position to do something about it. That is the holy grail right now, because what we find is if you look across companies from patient all the way from supply to the patient, You see email systems, you see multiple databases, multiple MES systems, quality systems, 
And it's just extremely hard for all of these to connect and share data with each other and all the partners in real time. So that's the responsiveness. I mean, agility is about people. Are the right people in place with the right data to solve the problem? The technology, can we share and exchange real-time data between multiple partners in this healthcare system? And then process, how do we know where the key weaknesses are in these processes? I mean, you go into, you're probably going to laugh when I say this, but you go into Procter & Gamble, they know exactly where their weak parts of their operations processes are. And they don't try and fix them necessarily because it's in a sense, it's the law of diminishing returns. So the combination of responsiveness is don't have the right people trained in the right way, the right systems sharing data. We don't have the right processes to exchange between all these systems. And so therefore, we have a problem that takes 40 days to resolve. And in that, you obviously realize patients can die. The dreaded silos and latency of information transfer, that's certainly a problem. with Exactly. This has been the real last industry to catch on to. That. And it's definitely because of heavy constraints placed on them by systems of record and the FDA and track and trace. It's a nightmare to change any system in a pharmaceutical company without jumping through hoops and they're paying mm-hmm. the price for it. All right. Well, then let's talk about change. Let's talk about solutions. It's kind of a daunting proposition to deal with this situation. So what needs to be addressed first? Where, where are the priorities here? Yeah, well, I wrote that article with supply chain brand, the Amazonification of supply chains. Mm, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, when you think of Amazon Prime and the fact that all network partners are connected onto the Amazon Prime platform, they've got my credit card, they've got my address. I just have to click on a product and say buy and the rest happens automatically. So from a technology point of view, that gives you a really good indication of what you need from a digital platform to be able to run this healthcare system, not as a string of linearly connected systems, but as a platform of all partners exchanging data and providing visibility to each other. And that's a fundamentally different model. So within your business, you've got your ERP, Oracles, SAPs, and you're running a really tight ship based on a demand forecast. And that's the way pharmaceuticals has traditionally operated. But connected to the partners outside the logistics partners, hospitals, retail pharmacies, et cetera, the reality is that you want that demand to be the demand forecast accuracy that drives the actual product supply network in any pharmaceutical company. So that is the challenge. It's a combination. So there's the digital How do you digitally run your business, i.e. what we used to talk about in ERP terms? And second of all, how do you digitally manage the network with all of the partners? And those can be logistics partners, retail partners, hospitals, contract manufacturers, and the whole scenario is a combination of both. So when you ask what is the solution, well, the solution lies vested in this whole idea that If you digitize the operating model and you digitize your own business, and I'm not saying just take every manual process and turn it into a digital process, but if you literally digitize your business and you have the data that's available to make smart decisions, and then you have the network with all the partners on the network and patients on the network providing you with someone making placing an order, someone wants visibility, 
someone is going to move a product from A to B. That's the digital network operating model, and it's a combination of the two. It's exactly the way that Amazon Prime runs, because when you think they they don't control Husqvarna or Nestle or any one of the suppliers that feed into Amazon Prime, but they do control Amazon Prime. So Nestle and Husqvarna and J&J, any other manufacturer supplies onto Amazon Prime, it's their responsibility to get the 100% right product compliant available when Roddy Martin acquired it on when he placed his order on the Amazon Prime network. And mm. then it's up to Amazon to make sure that that product gets to me and that all the, the network partners like logistics and manufacturing and quality control and all the accounting and billing stuff happens. So it's a combination of many factors, but it's not difficult it just requires a new think, a new way of thinking. In the retail and consumer product sector, the way that those supply chains had to proceed to improve their processes was to get start at least with access to good point of sale data. What is right. the equivalent in pharma of point of sale data? And does that propagate up the supply chain to the manufacturers in a timely fashion? It hasn't in the past. And there are quite a couple of real horror stories with big pharmaceutical companies who inadvertently shared patient data on the network, and they were clobbered to the tune of billions of dollars by the FDA and the, and the FCC. So the point is that everybody's gun-shy about patient data. However, this is where augmented analytics is really going to pay its way, so to speak. Because if I can take all of the trends, all of the usages, all of the product movements, on the downstream side and model it, build an artificial intelligence model of how demand is changing, that becomes the accuracy that demand forecast processing needs to improve demand forecast accuracy so that they can put the right product at the right place at the right times. So the answer is in artificial intelligence and augmented analytics. I don't want to just know from my ERP system, how many did I ship to that point? I want to know over the last year, what did my demand look like at that point? What are people saying about my product on social media? No, if you go and look in the CIO magazine, there's a great article about how Walmart and Merck, even 10 years ago, were sharing pollen data, weather data, inventory data. And they could tell the minute they saw people complaining about allergies and not having Merck's products available, between Merck and, and Walmart, they would move their product to the right place. That's mm. what we are talking about. And that's a very different model to the way that consumer goods and consumer electronics have worked, where once you buy a product and check it out through point of sale, you collect that data and you pass it back to the manufacturer. This is much more sophisticated than that. And I think it's probably going to lead the way, Bob, because ultimately there's no reason why consumer goods and consumer electronics couldn't build AI models of demand management and demand forecast and market trends and use that as, as the input to product supply networks and sales and operations planning processes. But in the pharma business, okay, let's say you're looking back at last year's numbers and you're applying them to this year, and all of a sudden along comes a pandemic. This is something extraordinary. Sure. It didn't happen last year. <laughs> what do you do with that? How do you adjust? How do you scale? That's a great point. And I mean, you and I both remember Terra Technology and the storm they caused in the consumer goods industry when they were taking 10, 20 points of demand forecast inaccuracy out of the equation. And you ask yourself, well, how did they do that? 
Well, they didn't wait for a quarterly or a monthly sales forecasting meeting. They were capturing point of sale data and doing continual sales force forecasting updates. Mm. So in other words, it wasn't every two weeks or a month or every quarter that they were doing sales updates and forecast updates. They were continually feeding point of sale into the forecasting process. And in fact, if you think about it at a very high level, they were enabling a company to run a continuous demand forecast management process. And that is the way that pharmaceuticals and consumer goods will work because you can't do it on historical data exactly for the reason you just so in a pandemic scenario when you have requirements for demand popping up all over the network but you also have inaccurate supply you've got to match those points where you do have supply it might be a geography to the points where you do have demand because you know there's been an outbreak in xy city or xyg country and you've got to map those two together and get the product to the point where it's needed as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a real-time forecasting scenario, not a historical demand forecast estimates as we've seen in the past. Do traditional planning cycles, therefore, become irrelevant, like a SNOP six-month cycle? It gets thrown out the window the moment you look at actual demand. That's a very insightful question because I think that's what you will eventually see. Now, remember that on that five-stage model you and I have spoken about so many times, most companies are in project-based improvements, so they're still doing SNOP as a project, and they will continue to do SNOP with old, you know, laggy data and inaccurate data, and they won't get it right. However, the leaders, if you look at what the Procter & Gamble's and the Samsung's are doing, they're forecasting and running SNOP with real-time data in the SNOP process. And that's fundamentally changed the nature of SNOP because now you're making trade-offs against what's visible upstream, what's visible downstream, what trade-offs am I going to make, what's the promotion or the launch going to look like for this new product and making that decision in real time. And and in actual fact, for a long time, Procter & Gamble didn't talk about and didn't do SNOP. You would never find them standing and shouting about their SNOP capability. But look at what they do today because they've implemented a control tower. They're working with real-time data. They've got control centers all over the world, all looking at exactly the same data. You can fundamentally change the way you do SNOP when you have that level of real-time visibility. It's almost like sales and operations execution as much as it is sales well, it and is. operations planning. You know? it, it absolutely is. And I, look, it's going to take a lot of companies a lot of time to get there because the problem with SNOP is not just real time, the visibility and the availability of real-time accurate inventory upstream and downstream. It's also about the governance of the organization, the fact that you're asking finance to control a meeting between sales and, and operations and make the decent trade-offs to the business when 60% of the meeting is spent fighting about who's got the most accurate information. So the problem in SNOP today is not necessarily just about this issue of data. It's the whole governance model about pivoting from a supply-driven business to a demand-driven business, and SNOP is right in the firing line. And to circle this back to pharma again, do you think that maybe I can find like the thinnest silver lining around around this giant cloud in saying that perhaps it gave a kind of a kick in the pants to the pharma industry in terms of waking up to the need for these innovations and improvements in their supply chain? 
It does. And in actual fact, sometimes it's not good to be on the first wave as spoken as a true surfer here. I don't want to be the first one to break my neck. I'd rather watch 20 other people break their boards and then decide, okay, I'm happy to, I understand the risks I'm going to go in. So pharmaceutical is a late entrant. And the late entrant because digital network platforms need these kind of real-time model-based planning systems where it's all about events, to your point of sales and operations planning execution, they hop straight onto the bandwagon to do that off the bat. They don't have to unplug 15 years worth of efforts in sales and operations planning that never really worked and convince the business they're going to do it differently this time. Wow. Those are some really good lessons for an industry that, as you say, is playing catch up, but is one of the most vital, if not the most vital supply chains as of this moment. So uh, Roddy Martin of Tracelink, thank you so much for shining a light on this situation and helping us to understand a little bit about uh, the gaps and, and, and solutions for pharma supply chains and supply chains in general as well. Thanks for being with me today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. It was a pleasure to talk to you. That was my conversation with Roddy Martin of Tracelink, talking about the challenges of the pharmaceutical supply chain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.